0: Well, today, if you will, turning your Bible to Matthew 5, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and today we're looking at a third topic. This past two weeks, we've looked at two other topics, and in each of these six topics that we'll eventually get through, Jesus raises the issue by saying, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. And what Jesus is saying to them is, He's saying, "This is the way you were taught, but let me tell you how it should be taught." We looked the first week at the whole issue of anger, how inside our hearts that we struggle. We saw how the the Pharisees looked at the exterior at our actions and not the heart and we saw that this anger that leads to murder is within us and that we probably have all committed murder And last week pa- Pastor Robert looked at the issue of lust and saw how in reality that many of us if not all of us have committed adultery. Today, we'll be looking primarily at the issue of divorce. We'll talk with something on the issue of of oaths and uh, and vows briefly, which kind of ties in with this, but primarily divorce. I want to be very sensitive, and I have really struggled with with this whole issue of. of of how to bring this to our congregation. I know that God's word is our standard for life. And I know also that there are those of us who have divorced for different reasons. And I want you to know that our desire is that there is healing in our lives if there hasn't been already. Divorce touches emotions at a deep level. It brings so much pain into our lives. Surveys indicate that probably eight out of ten people are affected either directly or indirectly by divorce. There's such deep wounds, and as we bring the issue of this up, I know, I know that it brings up emotions and feelings that we'd rather put aside over the last 20-something years here at Inner City City Impact initially and then here at Good News Bible Church. I've walked with, with couples as they've gone through tough marriages. I've seen the hurt. Life is so complex and in our sinfulness there's so much hurt. Marriage is supposed to be this this wonderful life that lasts for, for our lives. And yet too often, because of sin, there's pain and hurt and hopelessness. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was commenting on the issue of divorce in the, the Sermon on the Mount, and he said it's amazing how many people, as they write a commentary, On the Sermon on the Mount, they kind of slide over this issue. And I can see why, in one sense. But in another sense, God's Word is our foundation for life. It's upon God's Word that we set our life into place. And I'm so sure that God desires that we, as husband and wife, or committed to each other, and it would persevere in the midst of conflict and hurt and pain. I know that our culture goes against everything that God's Word says. I've heard a, a sermon by Pastor Mark Driscoll, who m- many of you would be familiar with, and he mentioned the fact that in, in, some, in some countries that already they have fixed marriages. In other words, marriages are in place for five years. If the couple um, is enjoying their marriage, then they re up their marriage license for another time period. As I saw that I used to put on the internet and I saw that Australia in the last year or two they've been talking and they're they're wanting to put in place something and they say, why should marriage be only a, a lifetime contract? Why can't marriage be like when we buy a car or buy property or get insurance? And so they, too, were discussing that. This past year, Mexico City put in a place for homosexuals could be married. And, and running off of that, they're now asking for a two year, a two-year marriage contract. All this goes so against what God's word says. I'm reminded of Ephesians five, where it talks about marriage being modeled after our relationship with Jesus Christ. It says that now the church submits as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. That whole idea of a covenant versus a contract. A covenant says, I love you no matter what. A contract says, if you give me some money for insurance as a company, I'll insure you. But you can be sure that you have your car insured and you don't send payments in, the contract ends. Too often the world views marriage as a contract. And yet God's word is very clear that it's a covenant. When our passage today, Matthew five, thirty-one through thirty-two, Jesus says that remarriage by or to a divorced person is equal to to adultery in most cases. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. First. I want to remind you that these two verses, chapter 5, verses 31 and 32 of Matthew, are not the only passages that talk about marriage and divorce. The Jewish tradition, of course, when Jesus Christ was there amongst the Jews and uh, interacting with the Pharisees and scribes, um, the Jewish tradition based their views on the Old Testament passages, and primarily Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 through 4. Later on in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, Jesus goes into much more detail, probably 12 verses or so, Christ talks about marriage and divorce, and we'll look at that passage later on. But let's first look at the teaching of the scribes, the Pharisees, to get a little bit of context of where they were, to get get an idea of the culture there at the time that Jesus Christ uh, is interacting with, the people here. Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in, her, in his eyes, because she has found, he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. There was conflict during Jesus' time, between two rival schools, Hillel and Shammai, and they took this Deuteronomy 24-1, if you remember going back to anger and to lust, the Pharisees made up rules to get around these issues, to get around these things. In this case, they interpreted Deuteronomy 24, 1, in such a way that they could get around what the word said and actually offered divorce in many cases. The passage states that a husband could divorce his wife if he found something indecent, something indecent in her. But that was a controversy. What was this something indecent? What did that mean? Well, Rabbi Hillel was the liberal guy. He was very lax in how he viewed things. And he said a man could divorce his wife pretty much for any reason. He used, um, this passage for very trivial reasons. If his wife was a bad cook, divorce her. If his, if she became, um, unattractive to him, and he saw another woman that was more attractive, divorce her. If she walked around with her hair down in the house, divorce her. If she spoke to men on the street, divorce her. And if she spoke disrespectfully of her husband's parents in his presence, divorce her. We see how the Pharisees took God's word and made excuses in their interpretation. Now, Rabbi Shammai had a more strict view. He, he, he viewed that divorce was a serious thing and it's only because of the indecency and uh, interpreting the sense of adultery or, or unfaithfulness. We see this liberal versus conservative mindset being at place here when Jesus talks, interacts with the scribes and Pharisees. Let's look now, if you will, to take your Bible, because we've got a few verses here. Get your Bible and go to, to Matthew 19, Matthew 19 and verse 3. We see in verse 3, the Pharisees came to Christ and they tested him by saying, Is it lawful? To divorce your wife for any cause? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You see, the Pharisees weren't concerned about marriage. They were concerned about divorce. We'll see later on that Jesus is concerned about the institution of marriage. Marriage. It's important as we look at Jesus' response. He didn't respond directly to what they said. Rather, as often he did, Christ asked another question. Let's look at verse 4. 4 through 6. No, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 14. 19, 4 through 6. And Christ answered, Have you not read that who, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. Two things we see here as Jesus responds. First, he says marriage is exclusive. It's between a man and a woman. The husband and wife are to leave their mom and dad, and to cleave to each other, and they become one flesh. When I saw that, I was reminded, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, the Apostle Paul is talking about this issue, and he says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? It is written that two become one flesh. And Christ is saying, there's an intimacy when a husband and wife come together. And sex isn't just physical. There's a spiritual aspect. There's an emotional aspect. And he is reflecting on that. Those of us who have kids love our children. I remember when Zachary was born, our firstborn, I... Boy, I I could not believe the immediate love that God gave me for Zach. Zach was around for about four or five years before Jared came along. And I confess, before Jared was born, it it crossed my mind. Lord, can I love this little guy, this in Chris's body? Can I love him like I love Zach? Well, those of you who are parents, you know I love Jared, just as much as I love Zach, it's amazing the love that God gives moms and dads for their children. But no matter how close we are to mom and, and dad and children, it's not the same intimacy. Christ is saying, first, marriage is exclusive. It's exclusive. And secondly, he says it's permanent. There's no thought of divorce. In Malachi 2, verses 14 through 16, says, You cry out, Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, did the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. What does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your hearts. Remain loyal to your wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord. it's oh, powerful. It's powerful. We're going back again to this conversation between the Jewish leadership and Jesus. After Jesus had responded and said, Marriage is grounded in creation between one man and one woman. And it's permanent. The Pharisees turn around and ask Jesus another question. They say, well, why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Their argument was, hey, Moses commanded divorce. He commanded that we send her away with a certificate. Jesus responds in nineteen. verse 8, it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Christ made it clear that Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of our hearts. It was a compromise. It was a concession Moses permitted divorce, but he commanded the certificate of divorce for the woman's protection. You see, back then, women were mistreated. And with a certificate, the woman would not be up against the accusations, even charges of adultery. And with this certificate, though, she was able, she was protected they couldn't accuse her of adultery or other things. And second thing that the certificate did, it kept the man, the husband, from going back and marrying her again, which took place too often there. You see, women were just pieces of property, and so a husband could get angry with his wife for no reason and give her that certificate, or rather, before this it was just divorce. I divorce you and then be gone. He could go back to her again. And so this certificate protected the wife. Marriage was not something that one could move in and out of. Well, with this background, now I want to go back to the passage today, 531 through 32, and we see again Christ's words. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and that whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. As we look at this sexual immorality, unfaithfulness, Kent Hughes says that when it's applied in a marriage situation, it means marital unfaithfulness. Illicit intercourse that may involve adultery or homosexuality, bestiality, and down the line. In other words, there's a broad area there of, of unfaithfulness to the spouse. We need to remember that, that all of these offenses originally were dealt with by death under the Mosaic law. But when Israel came under the Roman rule, their laws made it prohibitive, and so the Jews could no longer um, use uh, death to care for this. So divorce was a Jewish practice that was substituted for death. And so as they were talking, there was no question that, in the minds of, of anyone, that adultery and those related unfaithfulness uh, those were definitely um, grounds for divorce. Again, no one had to divorce, but those were grounds that one could. Today, we don't have the freedom, as we see too often, to say that we have freedom to divorce for any reason. Today, we, we hear the our um, lawmakers, whether it's in the, the U.S., Uh, House and Senate are here in the state of Illinois and they they talk about the death of a marriage or irretrievable uh, breakdown in marriage. It it, it sounds good. Uh, It looks just. But it doesn't doesn't go along with what God's Word says. As we saw in previous weeks, both murder and adultery, Christ's teaching was radical. In this case, Jesus Christ threw out the Pharisees' interpretations of divorce by any cause. This is, this is revolutionary. The disciples, after they heard what Christ said, they said to him, if this is the case of a man and his wife, is it better not to marry? These were Jesus' Own disciples, when when they heard that adultery is the lone reason for divorce, they said, Why marry? Do you see how again Jesus Christ raised the bar? He raised the bar first with anger and murder. He raised the bar with lust and adultery. He raises the bar here. There's a righteousness that Jesus Christ calls us to that is so very very different. If you can imagine the disciples of Jesus Christ, they were blown away because Jesus was radical to their society. He was radical Today, Jesus Christ's words are radical. And sometimes when we interact with people about what God's word says, people are blown away. They're blown away. How can that be, they say? There's an emphasis here on Jesus Christ's authority. And again, he's raising that bar a little bit higher, a lot higher. Again, Christ's teaching today is not popular in our contemporary culture. Christ is saying that marriage demands total commitment and that only death of the most flagrant, ongoing sexual infidelity should end it. Well, after looking at what Jesus Christ says, are there other passages in the Bible that we want to look at uh, in reference to, to marriage and divorce? And there is. I want us to, to look, if you're turning your Bible, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. And I'm not going to read them all, but I want to just kind of give you that, the picture there. This is when the church was first beginning. And if you can imagine, as the gospel went out, people come to Christ and you have a husband or a wife who trusts in Jesus and they're at and they're at odds and there were questions being raised to Paul and he was saying and they were saying should we divorce because we don't we don't have the same views and Paul said to them no remain remain with your spouse and your family your influence can bring them possibly to Christ, your children and your spouse. He goes down the line and he talks about that. And then in verse 15 he says, though, he says that if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. The uh, New Living Translation says is no longer no longer bound to the other. And, and what Paul is saying here is in, the, in this situation was that there's another situation, another case another grounds for divorce and remarriage. Paul adds then desertion by the non-believer the non-believing spouse. Good News Bible Church and many evangelicals have offered a third case based on an extension, really, of this, of this last passage here of, of allowance for divorce and remarriage when, the, when deserted by a nonbeliever. And it's when people have been married and divorced before they come to Christ. When they've been married and divorced before they come to Christ. And, and they go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is a, it's a tough situation. I know we've always, there's been a struggle with, with that, but I, I wanted to make that um, clear there, that we, we have in the past performed weddings based on, on that. Well, just as adultery and, and divorce are examples of violating um, our commitments Christ, in chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, talks about keeping our word. Again, Pharisees, as in everything else, had made ways to get around their vows. they make these vows and make these commitments, but they'd do them in such a way that you could lie. Let's look at the passage Matthew five thirty three through thirty seven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, there's Christ against saying you've been taught this. You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Let what you say simply be yes or no, and anything else comes from evil. When I read this, I reminded as a little boy, I. Most of you know I've got a twin brother. And Roger, it's different today, but growing up, Roger would say, when he was not telling the truth, he would say, he wanted me to do something. He'd say, I promise, Ralph, I promise you I'm telling the truth. I promise you I won't lie. And he would go all out of the way, adding on stuff. This is a vow type thing. And and over and over, he would say with such sincerity that our siblings would say, "Okay." And then, when we agreed with him and did what he wanted, then he would just break out laughing at us and say, "I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it." Christ says, "There's Christians. We don't need to make vows." We don't need to say, I promise, I promise you I'm telling the truth, I promise you I'm not lying. No. Oaths aren't necessary in daily life. Does this mean that we should never take an oath? No. I think there are times that we need to, if we're going into the military, or if we're going into a civic position where we need to swear an oath to the country and to its laws then we should take that oath. If we go to court and we're asked to make a promise, we should do that. But Christ's point is that we should be men and women and youth and children of integrity. Of integrity. Our word should be all that's needed. I've mentioned to you my father was well-loved when I was growing up. I remember in the later years, he shared with me how when you go to the bank and get a loan, he didn't have to sign any kind of collateral. Sometimes he didn't have to sign papers. But all was, that was required was his signature. Of course, things have changed now. And you've got to turn over all kinds of things before you can get a loan. see, my dad was a man of integrity, and the bank trusted him. And Jesus is saying to us, we should be men and women of integrity, telling the truth, keeping our promises. Jesus raises that bar of righteousness. Was it close up? I want us just to think. We live in a culture that resists God's word. They resist the definition of marriage as a covenant that is for life. We must resist that permissiveness regarding divorce and remarriage on any grounds. We must resist the world when they suggest that there are other. Ways and things sexually that don't go along with what God's word says. We must be, we must avoid being self-righteous and judgmental. Remember, we're all adulterers at heart. Matthew five twenty-eight. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman is lustful, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery in her heart, in his heart. For those who have fallen and divorced for whatever reason, our hearts should be there loving them and caring for them. We all fail. We all fall short. We all need to be men and women telling the truth, keeping promises, forgiving. If we face life, and we all fail, we need to remember our God is a gracious God. Our God is a merciful God, compassionate, loving. When we come and we repent of our sins and confess to Him, He forgives us. He restores us. Our God is so dependable. We can lean on him and look to him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, as we've dealt with this sensitive issue, Father, we come and we recognize, Lord, that we all fall short. We all fail Lord, you know our hearts. You know how we miss the mark so much. Our Father, we ask that we might be a loving community. Our oh, Father, that we might encourage each other to walk with you and to live for you. And Father, as the onslaught of the world hits us, Lord, daily, may we stand firm in you and your word. Knowing, God, that it's a standard for life. Knowing, Father, that you are a merciful God, full of compassion and grace. And, Father, we look to you and lean on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.